Welcome to SLP Money, an in-depth conversation for speech language pathologists and private practice owners on how to break through to the next level of your career and business. Join your host, Craig Goldslager, a financial advisor and certified exit planner, as he shares strategies and stories that will help you become more financially confident and better invest your time and money. You can learn more and stay up to date at utterlyfinancial.com. Hello, and welcome to today's episode of SLP Money, where we'll be talking about four types of insurance that every SLP must have. Insurance serves as an important part of any financial or business plan, and I would argue that it is the most important part of any business or personal financial plan. It's essential to understand the role that insurance plays in protecting you, your family, and your business. Before we talk about specific types of insurance, it's important for me to share with you why I feel so strongly about having the proper amount of insurance in place. So to do that, I think we have to take a step back and talk actually about what insurance is, why it exists, and how you should determine if you actually need it. Insurance really was created to mitigate the risk and consequences of an event that leads to the loss of an asset or that asset's value. So if the event is due to something called pure risk, that means that there is a possibility of loss, but no possibility of gain. So in that case, you can insure it. The opposite of pure risk is something called speculative risk. And speculative risk is where there's a possibility of loss but also a possibility of gain. In that situation, the risk would not be insurable. And another way to think about that is actually gambling. So what are the ways to handle pure risk? There are actually four ways in which you can go about protecting yourself in that situation. So the first is to avoid risk entirely. So if you avoid a situation, that can accomplish eliminating the cause of the risk because you avoid putting yourself or an asset or an object in the way of the risk. You can also reduce risk. So if you reduce the exposure to the risk, you can install maybe something like a safety feature to remove the hazard from occurring. Another way to handle the risk is to retain the risk. Another way to describe that is self-insurance. By self-insuring something, you are recognizing the risk of loss, but you're willing to pay out of pocket if that loss occurs. And the last way you can handle risk is to transfer the risk, which is essentially the purpose of insurance. You're transferring the risk of loss from you to the insurance company. As an example, one that I like to talk about is I live in South Florida, and from June through November, we have hurricane season down here. So in this case, let's talk about what happens with water damage or floods that can occur because of hurricanes and hurricane force winds and damage to, let's say, my home. Using the four methods to handle risk, if I wanted to avoid flood damage and water damage to my home, I could move out of Florida. If I move out of Florida to a place where hurricanes and flooding are not a disaster, maybe I move to the mountains somewhere, then I would be avoiding risk. And in that case, I would no longer have to worry about flood insurance. The second way to reduce risk of flooding and water damage would be to install some kind of safety feature. Maybe I move to higher ground in South Florida, or I 
put some additional gutters or some type of ancillary products onto the base of my home to prevent flood damage. In that case, I'm not avoiding the risk, but I am reducing the ability to have my home damaged by water. I could also retain the risk or self-insure the risk and not own flood insurance. If that's the case, my home is not in a flood zone, so I'm not mandated to have flood insurance. So I can choose to not have the flood insurance. However, it's important to note that in my specific situation, water damage or flood damage is not covered as part of my homeowner's insurance. So that's one of the reasons to consider owning flood insurance. And the last way that I mentioned earlier of the methods to handle risk would be to transfer the risk. So as a rider or add-on to my homeowner's policy, I can purchase flood insurance. For the possibility of a hurricane coming with water damage and flood damage to my home, I can transfer that risk for pennies on the dollar to an insurance company. And since we've had four Category 5 storms barrel down on South Florida in the last four years, it's a no-brainer for me to add a flood insurance policy to my homeowner's insurance policy. That's why I feel so strongly about insurance. If people knew when a disaster would occur, or if I could predict when water damage or flood damage would occur to my home, well, I would purchase insurance the day before the storm. Unfortunately, there's no insurance company or underwriter in the world who would take that risk because they're looking at the same Doppler radar that I am, knowing that there's a significantly high probability of flood damage if a hurricane is 24 hours away from hitting where I live. So in that case, you have to have certain types of insurance because you never know what will happen in life and you need to protect against certain types of risk. So as I turn the conversation to talking about the four types of insurance every SLP should have, one more piece of information I think that we should discuss is the two costs that you must account for when you're talking about any kind of insurance. The first is the cost of taking action, which is actually purchasing the insurance. So by doing that, you're paying the required premium to transfer the risk to the insurance company. And the second cost is doing nothing or inaction, which you're not paying the premium. You most likely are self-insuring the risk. Perhaps you are avoiding it or reducing the risk, but you don't have to pay the premium because you don't want to pass that risk off to an insurance company. So with that framework in mind, let's talk about the first type of insurance and why I think every SLP needs long-term disability insurance. Since you've invested an enormous amount of time into your education and developing your skill set of becoming an SLP, the most valuable asset you have is your ability to earn an income. So let's say that I just finished my CF and I get hired. My starting base salary is $60,000. Well, if I plan to work for the next 30 years and let's say I earn a modest salary increase of 3% annually, I'm going to have almost $3 million, approximately $2.9 million of income come through my life over my working career the next 30 years. And so I feel that that money should come into my life no matter what happens to me. Anything can happen, whether it's a hand injury, maybe I develop some type of nervous system disorder like MS, or even a mental disorder like depression. Any of those threats can cause me to stop working. 
According to a study released by the U.S. Social Security Administration in December 2018, there's actually a one in four chance that one of today's 20-year-olds will become disabled during their working years. So I think it's important to note that disability doesn't mean a crippling injury that forces you to spend your life in a wheelchair or some type of assisted living facility. It could be any of those ailments that I mentioned earlier. In fact, 90% of disability are caused by illness, not injury. Keeping that in mind, I think it's important next to discuss what to look for in disability insurance policies. You may have one offered to you through work if you work for an employer. You may already have your own individually owned policy. Whatever the case may be, I think it's important to talk about what to look for in a disability insurance policy. The most important aspect of disability insurance is the actual definition of disability outlined in the contract. There are three different types of definitions, each with distinct benefits and costs. The first is called true own occupation. And under this type of definition of disability, an insured is considered disabled if they aren't able to perform the duties of their specific occupation. In the case of an SLP, it might be your medical specialty. The important part of the definition of coverage is that it provides benefits if you aren't able to work in your specialty without taking away your flexibility to make and earn an income in another occupation. This definition is the most favorable for the policy owner and is usually available only with certain types of policies. It's rare to find it in an employer group plan. As an example, let's say you're a medical-based SLP who's a fees specialist and needs fine motor skills to work with a telescope to perform your daily activity. Let's say you injure your hand and can no longer work in that specialized function. Since you can't practice anymore, you've thought about what else you'll do with your days to earn an income and to continue practicing in some capacity as an SLP. You've always had a passion for helping others and you decide to start teaching at a local university. If you have true own occupation coverage, you'll be able to continue receiving your disability benefits even though you found work and are earning an income in a different capacity. The second type of definition of disability is modified own occupation. So according to this definition, a person receives benefits when they can't work in their own occupation and are totally disabled. With this kind of disability insurance, benefits do not continue if you want to earn an income in another profession. So the options of a totally disabled person with this kind of disability insurance coverage would be to either live off their benefits check and remain totally disabled according to the terms of the contract or return to full-time work in a different occupation. This type of coverage is usually used as a base level of coverage for company employees, but it's common to see employees or executives with higher salaries get a secondary policy with the true own occupation definitions we just discussed. In our previous example, the medical SLP would have to decide if she wanted to collect her disability check or go into teaching. She would not be able to earn an income from both. Lastly, 
there's a definition called any occupation, and this is the most common form of disability insurance and is usually found in employer-sponsored group plans or low-cost individual contracts. In this definition, an insured is considered disabled only if they're unable to work in any occupation for which they're qualified. It's the least beneficial type for the insured, and it also provides the greatest leverage to an insurance company for determining claim eligibility. Someone with any occupation coverage can receive benefits for a claim if their injury or illness prevents them from working anywhere, not just in their specific occupation or an occupation for which they have qualifications. Now, if you've decided that you want to use an employer-based disability policy, you may not have the flexibility to add specific add-ons called riders to the policy, which provide additional benefits to policyholders. So if you do want a disability insurance policy that is individually owned by yourself, a few riders that you should consider are having a policy that's non-cancelable and guaranteed renewable. So what this means is that premiums can't be raised and the contract can't be changed by the insurance company. You also want to specify that true owner occupation definition of what your day-to-day responsibilities are as a practicing SLP. Everyone's job description is slightly different. So depending on what your job duties are, you would outline those specifically in the contract to make sure that if for some reason you are unable to perform those duties, you'll be considered disabled by terms of the contract and able to earn an income benefit. A little while ago, I mentioned that anytime you want to obtain an insurance policy, there's two costs. The cost of receiving the policy, which is paying the premium, or the cost of doing nothing. I think it's important to spend a few minutes talking about what you can expect to pay if you want to own your own disability insurance policy. So the short answer is that it averages, I would say, between 1% and 3% of your annual salary. But the longer answer is it depends because it's so specific to each individual. There are a lot of different factors that go into determining what the price of disability insurance is. So the first factor in considering is the actual amount of income you want to protect. So the higher income, the higher your policy benefit amount will be, which will increase how much the policy costs. The next factor is talking about the benefit period, which is how long the benefit will last or how long you'll be paid if you became disabled. So benefit periods can range anywhere from two years or until age 70. And the longer the benefit period, the more your premium will cost. Another important factor is the elimination period, which is how long it takes for your benefit to begin or how long you need to wait until you receive your first disability payment. These can range from 30 days out to about 720 days or two years. And the shorter the elimination period, the more the premium will cost because you'll be collecting that check sooner. Another really important factor in determining the cost will be your age because the younger you are, most likely the healthier you are. So it's something to keep in mind when determining if you want the policy because the younger you are, the cheaper it will be. One more factor that is important to know is your health and your health history because that can help determine the cost as well. If you have something like a bad habit like smoking or perhaps you have a chronic back injury, it is still possible to be approved for a disability insurance policy. 
but you might receive a premium increase or a rating increase. It's also possible to receive a policy and have something called an exclusion put on. So if I have chronic back ailments, the insurance company might issue me a policy, but specify an exclusion stating that I am not able to collect disability income because of an injury to my back. It was important to talk about disability insurance first because your income is the source for everything in your life. It pays your mortgage, puts gas in the car, puts food on the table. If anyone else is reliant on you producing an income, that leads into our next type of insurance, which is life insurance. And you need to own life insurance if someone is reliant on your income. It's a way to help protect your family in the event that you're no longer there to care for them. First, I think it's important to talk about the different types of life insurance available and the key components of a life insurance policy. Essentially, there are two main types of life insurance. You have term life insurance or permanent life insurance. Term life insurance covers you for a set period of time, something like a 10-year, 20-year, or 30-year increment. And once the term expires, you're no longer covered. On the other hand, permanent insurance can cover you for your entire life. So no matter how long you live, your family will be protected when you're gone. As long as you're covered, which may be for the fixed term or for life, depending on the type of insurance, your beneficiaries will receive a death benefit when you pass away. Some key terms to know before you start thinking about what's right for me. You'll pay a premium, which is the payment you make to maintain your policy. The term, which again, for term life insurance is a a finite period of time. You have a death benefit, which is a lump sum payout your beneficiaries receive when you pass away. And the beneficiary is the person, perhaps it's an organization or a charity that will receive the death benefit from your policy. How do you choose which type of life insurance is right for you? If you're looking for coverage for a predetermined period of time, term insurance might fit your needs. If you're planning for longer term coverage, permanent insurance may be the better option. How you choose what's right for you, it really depends on a couple of factors like your age, your financial situation, and other mitigating circumstances. That leads into another common question which we receive is, how much life insurance should I have? And so how much coverage you need mostly depends on where you are in life and how many people depend on the income that you earn. So in general, the younger you are, the more coverage you'll need to compensate for the working years that lie ahead and all of your potential wage earning ability. The more people that depend on you, the more coverage you'll want to meet so that way all of their needs in the event of your untimely death can be covered. Oftentimes we're asked, well, I don't want to have too much insurance or can I be overinsured? And I think it's important to note that you can't be overinsured because part of the underwriting insurance process, the underwriter will examine your income So for instance, when you purchase homeowner's insurance, the insurance company will allow you to purchase insurance up to the replacement value of your home. So if it costs $500,000 to rebuild your home, you can't purchase insurance covering a $1 million dwelling. Life insurance underwriters have similar maximum amounts that individuals can be covered for based on their income. So in general, some guidelines are if you're under the age of 50, you can get up to 20 times your income. If you're aged 50 to 65, you can get up to 10 times your income. Again, mentioning that there are so many other factors like other assets available to you, 
Maybe you have savings accounts, investment accounts, retirement accounts. Maybe you have a spouse who works or there's a large inheritance that comes into the family. Without knowing specific details, it's hard to state, but I do think it's important to note that you can't be overinsured. There are maximum guidelines on the amount of insurance you can have. How can you determine eligibility to purchase life insurance? Well, that's determined similar to what we mentioned earlier talking about disability insurance. Your age, your overall health, your lifestyle habits all get factored into consideration to determine whether you can procure the life insurance. So most people are eligible to buy life insurance, but the type of policy, the amount in which you can qualify for all depend on your unique situation. If you have a medical impairment and you might have a premium that's higher or certain benefits might not be available. Usually all of these questions will get answered by undergoing a medical exam in which you'll need to often do to be approved for life insurance. Some policies don't require an exam, but in that case, they do cap the amount of coverage you can purchase. Sometimes it's sufficient to just answer some medical questions rather than submit to a full medical exam to qualify for some policies. I mentioned earlier that the recipient of the death benefit of a life insurance policy is called the beneficiary. So you can name one, you can name two, you can name as many individuals or organizations as you'd like. And you can also dictate whether they split it equally. You can pay 50% to one group, 25% to another group, and 25% to another group if you have three beneficiaries. It's according and dictated by you, the policy owner. Typically, the spouse or children of the policyholder are named as beneficiaries. But as I mentioned, those aren't your only options. You can also name a charity, a trust, your estate, or anyone who's close to you. And the key in defining someone who is close to you is someone that has insurable interest in your life. And essentially, what that means is if you are no longer around to provide for that person, they will suffer an economic hardship. And so the death benefit helps replace some of those difficult times that lie ahead. Really important thing to note, if you have minor children, they are not eligible to receive a death benefit outright. So it's important that you do speak with an attorney to set up some type of trust until they are of legal age to receive the money. Friendly reminder, I am not an attorney. So if you do want to have a trust set up, you should consult with your legal advisor. Your primary beneficiary is the first person to receive the death benefit, but you can name a secondary or tertiary beneficiary who will receive the payment if your primary beneficiary passes away before you. Lastly, I want to talk about a few common mistakes that people can make in regards to life insurance and things I think you should look out for when you purchase a policy. One common mistake is buying the wrong kind of insurance for your circumstances. For example, someone in their 20s or 30s who purchases the wrong kind of policy and does not buy enough death benefit coverage, the benefit paid out to your beneficiaries will be too small to cover all of their needs. So make sure that based on your individual circumstances, you're obtaining the correct kind of policy. Another mistake is waiting too long to buy a life insurance policy. Just like disability insurance, life insurance premiums are generally more expensive the older you get. So there might even be an unforeseen medical issue where you are potentially uninsurable. Using the flood insurance example from the beginning of our conversation today, 
nobody knows when the storm's going to come and the flood's going to happen. So I would implore you to get coverage while you are your healthiest and your youngest. The third type of insurance that I think every SLP must have is professional liability insurance. So as an SLP, you're helping your clients in their day-to-day lives. And though you trust your skill sets and your ability to perform the best therapy you can, you need to be prepared for anything that may jeopardize your career and your financial future. So that's what professional liability insurance does. It covers you if you become legally obligated to pay a judgment earned by a client that could arise from a covered medical incident. Even if your employer has a policy that you're covered underneath, you should still have your own policy to cover you. Your employer's policy may be designed with protecting the company's best interests first and your interests second as the employee. Similarly, let's say you work primarily in a hospital setting and you switch from one hospital employer to another. And as you are working for the new hospital group, your old hospital group gets sued by a former patient. The patient names every person they interacted with in the hospital, including you, in their lawsuit. Your current employer's professional liability insurance only covers incidents that occur in the hospital where you work now, so that rules out that coverage. Your old employer dropped you from coverage because you no longer work there, so that doesn't help you. Then it comes down to you owning your own professional liability insurance. In the event of a lawsuit, owning your own professional liability insurance policy would provide you with your own attorney pay all reasonable costs incurred in the defense or investigation of the claim, and it will pay court costs or settlements in addition to the limits of liability. There are a lot of different providers in which you can get a professional liability insurance policy, but one of the benefits that's often overlooked as being an active member of ASHA, you can take advantage of association and discounted rates by applying for pro-liability insurance that's offered through Mercer. If you go to the slhadvisor.com website, there's a ton of information you can see there, and you can go ahead and procure a policy and receive those discounted rates. The fourth and final type of insurance for today's conversation is something called an excess liability insurance policy, also known as an umbrella policy. And you can think about this as a personal version of professional liability insurance that I just talked about. As an example of why you need this kind of insurance, let's use the unfortunate situation where you get into a car accident and you're found to be at fault and the other driver is badly injured. What's most likely going to occur next is a lawsuit by the other driver, followed up by court proceedings, legal fees, perhaps even a sizable financial settlement for the injured party. Your auto policy is going to pay accident and liability damages up to its policy limit. It could be that these limits are too low, which exposes your assets to unnecessary risk. In this example, let's say you have a policy limit of $500,000 on your auto policy. If a settlement is awarded for $2 million to the other driver, you are on the hook for the difference of $1.5 million. All the money you've been putting away into retirement or investments, savings over the course of your lifetime could be gone that quickly. So how do you protect yourself from a situation like this? You transfer the risk of a lawsuit to an insurance company. 
and away from your savings. So the excess liability or umbrella policy provides coverage where your auto and home policy stop. In the case of the car accident, if you had an umbrella policy in place, you might have been able to use that policy to help protect your assets and your future income. The primary purpose of an umbrella policy is to protect you from some of those unforeseen events that I mentioned, whether it's property damage or having to pay even financial settlement. As a general rule, you want to insure your assets in an amount equal to their full and complete replacement value. Excess liability protection should be one of the main cornerstones of your financial planning. You can store some portion of wealth in assets that are protected against lawsuits, like a qualified plan or a 401k. But if you do have assets that reside outside of those specific creditor protected types of accounts, the umbrella policy is the most cost effective way to prevent the damage caused by lawsuits. If you're thinking to yourself that I'm a great driver and this could never happen to me, well, We do live in a very litigious society where people can sue for a multitude of reasons. Maybe you have a teenager in the house or someone else on your auto policy. What if they get into an accident? Do you own a home? What if someone slips and falls on your icy steps? Do you have a pet? What if your dog attacks someone, an innocent bystander who's walking down the street? The list of reasons can go on and on and on for owning an umbrella policy. Again, it's trading pennies on the dollar for millions of dollars of protection of the assets you've worked so hard to accumulate and protect. To wrap up today, here are some action items I'd encourage you to do. If you're relying on employer benefits for your disability insurance, read the fine print. What type of definition of disability do you have? Is it true own occupation or any occupation? And how long is the benefit period? Regarding life insurance, have you had any major life changes since you last looked into or got a life insurance policy? Have you gotten married or had another child or maybe started your own business? These are all valid reasons to get additional life insurance coverage to protect your family, your business, and your overall financial well-being. Lastly, what is the policy limit on your auto insurance? Make sure you have an umbrella policy that will kick in once you hit that limit to protect all of the assets that you've worked so hard to accumulate. While there are many other types of insurance that you most likely have or will need to have at some point in your life, these four are so important that I wanted to dedicate an entire episode to just talking about them. So if you have any comments, questions, concerns regarding anything discussed on today's episode, please feel free to reach out to us. And thank you again so much for listening. I look forward to talking with you again soon on the next episode of SLP Money. You've been listening to SLP Money, hosted by Craig Goldslager. Want even more ideas on how to make smart financial decisions? Head on over to the Learning Center at utterlyfinancial.com, where you'll find more information for SLPs and private practice owners. While there, you can also schedule a complimentary 30-minute consultation with Craig. If you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, which will help more people discover SLP money. Thanks so much for listening. Materials discussed are for general and informational purposes only and should not be construed as tax, legal, or investing advice. While the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, please note that individual situations may vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice.
Craig Goldslager is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS. OSJ, 2 South Biscayne Boulevard, Suite 1740, Miami, Florida, 33131, 305-371-6333. Securities, products, and financial services offered through PAS, member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Utterly Financial is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PASS or Guardian. Craig Goldslager does not maintain specialized licenses or qualifications for the financial services provided to speech language pathologists and private practice owner professionals. California Insurance License 0K78754, 2020-95013, expiration 0222.